Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. But before we dive in this morning, I just have a question for you. Have you ever had a car pull out in front of you as you were driving? Oh my word, somebody did that to me this week. It was the most frustrating thing because I had to slam on my brakes. And I like to be gentle on my brakes because I know when you slam on your brakes, it just means you have to put new brake pads on your car every so, uh, that, much, that much quicker. And so this week, someone actually pulled out in front of me. And um, I had to slam on my brakes, and it was just uh, frustrating. It wasn't like, uh, you know, that kind of like slam on my brakes, but it was just that frustratingness of having to slam on my brakes. So in this moment, I, you know, I had to settle my mind, and I had to say, okay, you know, they, they didn't see me probably, or whatever actually happened in them. And so the Lord reminded me two weeks ago, in fact, it was um, um, just exactly two weeks ago from when this incident happened, um, I was actually at the grocery store picking up something, and I don't know all of the backstory to this, but I know that there were two cars who had occupants in the car that were just not happy with each other. And uh, I couldn't hear what was going on in the car uh, because it was hot outside and they had the windows rolled up and air conditioning on. And I'm thankful that that was the case because I could see on their faces the anger that they had because of whatever it was that had happened before they ever got to the place where they were in front of me. You know, sometimes in life we get hurt. That's just the nature of life in itself. And I read a quote quite some time back from Max Licato, and he says this, if hurts were hairs, we would all look like grizzlies. (laughs) That's probably true for us, right? You don't have to raise your hand. If hurts were hairs, we would all look like grizzlies. Uh, And this is how we live our life. We live life in a fallen world that is in need of a savior, And every one of us in our imperfections, even those of us are pursuing a right relationship with the Lord, we hurt people sometimes. If hurts were hairs, we would all look like grizzlies. You know, sometimes your kids hurt you. I've watched this in watching kids. You've seen it in watching kids. Sometimes maybe when you're growing up, a boy or a girl decides that they don't want to be in relationship with you any longer. And you experience, if hurts were hairs, we would all look like grizzlies. Maybe your company has let you go, or maybe the company has made some internal shifts, and because of that, you've been hurt in that. Maybe it's because somebody lies about you, or maybe that you experience rejection to a whole nother level, or maybe it really is something just as simple as somebody pulling out in front of you and hurting you kind of in that moment. If hurts were hairs we would all look like grizzlies. I want to talk about hurts this morning because in a refuge of grace, we have to understand how to deal and process with our hurts. 
I believe wholeheartedly that God has called us to be a refuge of grace. And for the last month, we've been looking at how do we operate as a refuge of grace. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know all of the answers to that, but I think it is an assignment for all of us to pursue that together as Whitechapel Church to understand how we operate as a refuge of grace. And so the passage that I want to share with, or, um, um, from a book that I've read this morning, from a book I've read, I want to share with you this morning about a lady named Victoria Rivolo. Victoria was a 44-year-old New Yorker who was simply driving home from work on a November afternoon. She doesn't remember the car that was approaching her on the four-lane road that she was driving on. She was just simply driving home and ready to get home after a long day of work, and a vehicle was coming up, a Nissan, coming up alongside of her. As this Nissan approached her, she saw that there was actually someone hanging out the window, It was a teenager hanging out the window. She didn't see what was taking place. She just noticed him and then paid attention to the road right in front of her. But before long, she realized that the teenager had something in his hands. That teenager was holding a frozen turkey that he actually threw at her windshield. A 22-pound frozen turkey hit Victoria's windshield and came through the car that she was driving and sent her to the ICU. This is a photo that one of her family members took while she was in the ICU. And now, to this day, every time that she gets in a car and she looks in the rearview mirror, she says the enemy uses that against her. Now, maybe you've never been hit by a real turkey. Maybe you've worked for a turkey. Maybe you married a turkey. (laughs) Maybe you think when you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror, it's a turkey that's actually staring you back in your face. Maybe you've gone through life and there's been turkey after turkey after turkey after turkey after turkey that has hurt you. You need to know how to deal with the hurts. Jesus gave us a promise that in this world, you're going to experience trouble. In this world, even the best-intentioned people, I think Jesus would say, will actually hurt you. Do you remember the disciples that Jesus gathered around him? If we were to read in between the lines through the Gospels in Jesus' life here on the earth... We could actually see the hurt that Jesus experienced by being in relationship with these disciples. The ones that Jesus actually picked out of everybody in the world. The 12 people that Jesus said, this is who I want to spend three and a half or so years with. Investing them, investing in them, and pouring into them. Whenever we experience hurt, we have to know how do we process that hurt. And in a refuge of grace, we have to know how do we deal with past hurt, current hurts, and prepare ourselves for future hurts. Now, the world would tell us that retaliation is the right way to go. The world would say to us that if you're on the road to retaliation, you're doing the right thing. But you know what? Jesus actually had a better idea. And in John chapter 13 we see Jesus giving us an example, 
for a refuge of grace in the way that we have to be able to deal with hurts. So follow along as I read from John 13. I'm going to read quite a bit here, but I just want you to actually catch this. We'll start reading in verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he showed them the full extent of his love. And here's what Jesus is about to do. He's about to put on display for us the way that we deal with hurts. He said, the scripture tells us he's loved these people. He's poured into these people day and night, some 10,000 or so waking hours Jesus has actually spent with this crew. He loved them completely, and now God is saying, the time has come for you to leave. And so you have to demonstrate God in the flesh the way that we deal in relationship with each other. In verse 2, John says the evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't, need, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who's had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. There's so much power and richness in this passage of Scripture for us to learn of how to actually deal with hurts that other people do to us. So there's an amazing thing going on here. Jesus knew who was about to betray him. Jesus was prepared. He had spent time with the Father. The Father had laid out the plan, if you will, to Jesus. Jesus knew what was coming. He knew that this was the time for him to actually go to the cross. But before he went to the cross, we see Jesus, and look what verse 3 actually says here. Verse 3 says that Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus had all power. All power was in the person of Jesus Christ at this moment. But yet, what did Jesus do? He still washed the disciples' feet. All power was in Jesus. He could have said just a few words. He could have given a sermon like he did on the mount and told us what amazing thing it was to walk in the forgiveness of God and then extend that forgiveness to other people. But instead, Jesus, the king of the world, Jesus, the word that had become flesh, 
Jesus, sovereign God, mighty king, Jesus washed his disciples' feet, demonstrating the forgiveness that had to actually be given. So before we moved here to Daytona, I had a pair of shoes that I actually used whenever I would go out and I would mow the lawn, and these were a, this was a pair of old tennis shoes. And when I first started using these old tennis shoes, I'd bought a new pair of shoes, and so, you know, it's that natural progression. You get new shoes, the shoes that you had, they get passed down, and they become your outside yard-working lawn mowing shoes. The first couple of times I used the shoes, it wasn't too bad, but then I got to noticing something. Every time that I finished working outside or I finished mowing the lawn, my feet were as if I had never worn anything the entire time that I was outside. And so I got to looking at these shoes, and I'm like, what's the problem here? I'm wearing shoes, I'm wearing socks, and I take them off, and my feet are just completely covered in dirt. It's like gross. And so I got to paying attention, and these shoes that I actually had um, had like this, uh, they were, um, ath- um, they were uh, running shoes, and they were actually uh, like nets, so then that way your feet could breathe. And it took a couple of times for this to actually happen, because when you're mowing and all of the dust and the leaves and, and grass and everything is blowing around, even though you're on a riding mower, on a push mower, no matter what, you're still going to get feet that are actually dirty. So I got to noticing that these shoes had collected the dirt and they were allowing, because of this filter, you know, this, this mesh that's in the shoes, to allow the dirt to just come right in on my feet. And it was like gross. I hated it. And I'll tell you, I don't like feet to begin with. And then I had to deal with my own feet. It was gross. It was, it was like really, really, really gross. And I don't know if any of you have ever experienced that. But I imagine that that's what these disciples' feet actually look like. There's been so many stories that have been written, messages that have been preached about the disciples' feet. There have been books that have been written about what Jesus is actually doing here. But the bottom line is we have someone who holds all power in the universe, who's kneeling to to wash the filthy feet of these disciples that Jesus had actually gathered with. The, the, the bottom line is feet stink and they're just gross. No one has ever made a cologne called feet. No one has ever made some type of perfume or lotion that's called athlete's foot. You can't go to the store and buy a little uh, air freshener to hang on your rearview mirror. That is called gym sock musk. It just doesn't happen. Because nobody likes the smell of feet. And if you do, I know a good counselor that can actually help you out with that. Feet are just gross. That's why we cover them up, unless you live in Florida, and then everybody goes in flip-flops or whatever that actually looks like. When I moved here, that took some actual time for me to get used to, seeing people's feet in the grocery store. Because in Missouri, you don't see that. They're wearing shoes with that. So this is the image that I have whenever I read John chapter 13, and I see this incredible act of forgiveness and humility and love and grace that is on display here in John chapter 13. Jesus was touching the grimy, gritty, grungy disciples' feet from their journey, 
And here's what I just find so amazing in this. Jesus did not skip a single person. He went straight to Philip, who told Jesus that it's impossible to feed these 5,000 people. Then he went to Peter, who quit trusting Jesus in the storm, and then Jesus knew that he was actually going to deny him very, very, very soon. Jesus washed the feet of James and John, who were actually fighting over who was going to sit next to Jesus in heaven. And Jesus even included Judas, who he gave uh, some insight into that was about to betray him. Jesus knew that Judas was going to sell him out. But here Jesus says, listen, if you want to be in a grace-loving relationship with me, then this is what you have to do to people that are going to betray you. Most people wouldn't do this. Even in the church of God, when we gather together on a Monday Thursday service, it's hard for me to go into a foot washing service, even though it is one of my favorites. Most people don't bow down to wash feet, but we're not most people. We're grace people. And in a refuge of grace, no matter how gross the feet are, no matter how wrong the hurt is, we have an obligation to bow down and cleanse the one who hurt us. Now notice what Jesus did. He could have stood up, verse 3, all power is given to him. Entire power in the universe. Jesus could have called the angels at this moment to take out Judas that was about to betray him. That's what verse 3 is telling us. But notice what Jesus did. Jesus did not say, Judas, you're about to betray me. Now as we get into the middle of chapter 13, Jesus points out that not everybody in the room is actually clean. Jesus is alluding to the fact that Judas is going to betray Jesus just, just before very long. Jesus could have said, all power has been given to me, and Judas, you're about to betray me, so what I want you to do, Judas, I want you to come over and I want you to wash my feet because of what you're about to do. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus could have said, Peter, you are a doubter. Do you remember when I told you to get out of the boat and I told you to walk to me and then you lost all faith in me and you almost drowned? Because of that unbelief, Peter, you need to come and you need to wash my feet. Jesus could have lined up the Pharisees and the Sadducees and he could have said, because of all the wrong that you've done, the questioning and the bitterness and division that you've called in the body of Christ and what you need to do, Pharisees and Sadducees, you need to come and you need to wash my feet. But that's not what Jesus did. Oh, if hurts were hairs on Jesus, he would have looked like a grizzly. But Jesus is dealing with those hurts, and Jesus is dealing with the flesh despite having all power, all power poured into him in the flesh. Jesus got down, and he washed the feet of those who had hurt him. You see, this is what grace people do. This is what a refuge of grace actually looks like. Whenever God's grace happens to us and we experience, when we experience his grace, then we take that grace to other people. 
Jesus did not skip us. Despite us being lost and undone and in darkness and working against the kingdom of God, he did not skip us. He brought his, great, his grace to us. Look at what he did with the Apostle Paul. Paul was the one who used to persecute and kill the Christians. But yet God on the encounter on the road to, Disma- on the road to Damascus, God made sure that Paul was completely soaked in grace so that he could take that grace to the Gentiles and spread the good news around the world. Look at ourselves. Look at every single one of us. Look in the mirror. We are drenching wet with the grace of Jesus Christ because Jesus has washed the grimiest part of every inch of our souls. And he made certain that we are covered in his grace. Look at verse 14 and 15, if you will, with me. In verse 14... Jesus' words here. If you have a red-letter edition, these words are in red, meaning that John recorded these words that Jesus actually spoke. So the interesting thing to me here is Jesus did the act of washing feet, and then verse 14, Jesus' words, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now let's move this further in what's actually happening here. Absolutely, there was some symbolism going on here. And then Jesus said, I want you to also do this. And so we observe foot washing once a year on Monday, Thursday, and we actually put this in practice. But this act is not singled out to one night a year. Jesus said, I want you to put this into practice. Well, what is it that is being put into practice? Jesus is washing the feet, offering forgiveness to those who had hurt him or even the one who was about to betray him. And Jesus was saying, if you, my disciples want to be in relationship, a grace relationship with me, then what you have to do is give grace to those people that are around you. What he was saying is if you want forgiveness, then you have to be one to actually give the forgiveness. So I want to continue this story with Victoria Revolvo. And I want to not just leave as she shared this story in her book, I, I want to just leave the story of there she was injured, she was put in the ICU, they had to rewire wire the whole left side of her face, there was mesh underneath her eye that was actually holding it into place, all because a teenager was playing a prank on her and threw a 22-pound turkey into her car. I want to, I want to share with you what actually is the outcome of this. Nine months after the attack, She stood face to face with the one that threw the turkey through her windshield. His name was Ryan Ryan Cushing. He was no longer some punk entitlement generation from New York City that she once saw. He was sitting dressed in a suit and a tie, actually in a courtroom. And there Victoria sat right behind him in the courtroom. 
People had packed the courtroom at sentencing. Ryan had been found guilty of this act. And everybody wanted to know what the sentence was going to be on Ryan. People were furious when the judge shared these words. Six months behind bars and just a couple of years of probation. Everyone in the courtroom, the New York Times recorded, everyone in the courtroom erupted into objections except one person, and that was Victoria. This is what she wrote in her book. This reduced sentence was actually my idea. In the courtroom during the sentencing, I walked over to Ryan and I embraced him in my arms. It was in full view of the judge and everyone in the courtroom. I held him tight and I actually stroked his hair. He sobbed and I said, I forgive you. I want your life to be the best that it could possibly be. Victoria's book is called No Room for, no Room for Vengeance in Justice and Healing. She went on to say these words. I allowed God's grace to shape my response to my attacker. God has given me a second chance at life. And I passed that on. If I hadn't let go of that anger, I'd be consumed by a need for revenge. Forgiving has allowed me to move on and for God to shape my life. Her mishap led to her mission. Her mishap, she says, led to her mission. You see, what Victoria has written about is that she experienced the grace and forgiveness of God, and she uses the words, she did not want to be a grace hoarder, but instead, do you know what she did? She filled a basin full of water, and she washed her attacker's feet. No, not physically, because Ryan was in jail. The only thing they allowed was the embrace, the hug, where Ryan wept, and she stroked his hair, And she shared God's grace. Do you know what the first work of the enemy is? The first work. I I believe this wholeheartedly. The first work of the enemy is to make sure that we're unstuck. Or to make sure that we're stuck in forgiveness. In unforgiveness. The first work of the enemy is to make sure that we are stuck in unforgiveness. That we are disabled from moving forward. That we are stuck in one place and all of the hurts of our life has immobilized us and we're not allowed to move forward. You see, in a refuge of grace, Jesus has said to us in John chapter 13 that we have to make certain that we are not stuck in a prison of unforgiveness, but instead we are moving forward after receiving his forgiveness and sharing it with everyone that has ever hurt us. Because revenge will leave you bitter, it'll leave you angry, and it will immobilize you in every area of your life. So I brought a bottle of water up here with me this morning, not because I wanted to drink. I always have a bottle of water, but I always leave it down there. But I I brought my bottle of water up here this morning because I want to show you something that is important for us to realize 
why we have to get to forgiveness in a refuge of grace. If I were to take this bottle and I were to shake this bottle, what would happen? I would get wet. Very good. I was thinking you were not awake there for a minute. That happened to me when I was preaching in chapel on Thursday in the secondary school. A lot of the kids decided that it's the end of school and they're going to go to sleep. I thought maybe that happened here this morning as well. If I were to shake this bottle, I would get wet. Why would I get wet? What's on the inside? Water. And whenever you shake a bottle, the water comes out, right? Why did the water come out? Because water was on the inside, so if you want Pepsi to come out of, oh, Coke, I'm sorry, we're in a Coke area. If you want Coke to come out of this bottle, it's not going to happen unless Coke is inside of this bottle. If you want orange juice to come out of this bottle, it's not going to happen unless orange juice is inside of this bottle. And if you want love to come out of your life, it's not going to happen unless forgiveness is inside of this bottle, and then that's what comes out of this bottle. You see, a lot of us are going around spewing our hurt on other people, and we can't figure out why that is the case. It's because we have become hoarders of God's forgiveness, and we want God to forgive us, but we don't want for God to forgive those people that have actually hurt us. And listen, Jesus addressed that. The disciples actually addressed that. And they said, if you want God's forgiveness, then you have to be one to give forgiveness to other people. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another. Do you know how you are kind and compassionate to one another? It's when you're filled with God's forgiveness that then brings kindness and it brings compassionate. He said then going on, forgiving one another. He didn't stop there. The sentence did not end. He said you have to be kind and compassionate to everybody around you. Even those people that hurt you. Even those people that may have abused you. Even those people that have pulled out in front of you while you're driving down the road. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving one another. And then he gives us the because. Because God forgave you. You see, when forgiveness is in here, it comes out and it spills on other people. And then, all of a sudden, you start to realize, hey, I'm compassionate. I'm, I'm being kind. The fruits, the nine fruit of the Spirit is actually what's overflowing out of me. Because I am walking in God's grace. And a true refuge of grace, a true refuge of grace, despite the hurts that have been caused to us, are, is a refuge of grace that always gives God's forgiveness. But listen, grace isn't blind. Grace is not blind. It sees the hurt, but it is grace that chooses to see God's forgiveness even more than seeing the hurt. So what is it that you are going to let guide you in, in your life? Are you going to be guided by your hurt, or are you going to be guided by God's forgiveness? Which is it? It has to be one of the two. And whenever we are making hurtful decisions because we've been hurt, then what we realize is hurt people hurt people. 
And the enemy uses this as a pattern over and over and over and over. And it is unending until we are kind and compassionate, forgiving other, because God is the one who actually forgave us. And forgave us. In Colossians 3.13, Paul also says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. This is not an option. This is actually a command. Jesus did not endorse the bad deeds of those disciples. He did not get up and say, Judas, you're going to betray me, and that's okay because in this moment I'm going to wash your feet and we're just going to go through. Jesus did not endorse those bad deeds. And grace deals with bad deeds because God is a just God. And a just God demands justice. But in justice, there can also be forgiveness. And that forgiveness is demanded of us if we want to receive God's forgiveness. Jesus shared a parable about this. You can go through and you can look all throughout the scripture. The demands that we have as a people who are commanded to be forgiving. And so one of the greatest acts of forgiveness that I want to share with you as I close this morning actually happened on October 2nd, 2006. It was around 10 a.m. A guy by the name of Charles Carl Roberts entered a West Nickel Mines Amish school in Pennsylvania. You probably remember this from the news. He carried with him a 9mm pistol, a rifle, a bag that had 600 rounds of ammo in it, two knives, flex ties, and other tools. He used the flex ties to bind 11 girls that were aged 6 to 15. He shot 10 of the girls, and then he turned the gun on himself and shot himself. Three of the girls died immediately. Two others died at the hospital. It was all over the news around the world. The Amish didn't talk a whole lot about it. They didn't show up for news interviews. They didn't spew hatred over this gentleman and his mother and his upbringing and the things that they had done. Instead, do you know what they did? They showed up at his funeral. And there they offered the grace of God that had been given to them. Despite the horrible acts, despite the unspeakable acts, they showed up so that the grace of God instead of the judgment of the world would be on display. Buggy after buggy, horse after horse, person after person showed up extending the grace of God. You see, they grasped what it meant to be a refuge of grace. They understood, despite the ultimate hurt that had been inflicted in one of their schools, they showed up to give God's grace. I have a very serious question to ask you this morning. I think this is a question for us from the Holy Spirit. What hurts are you carrying? 
What hurts from the past are you carrying with you? I believe that today is the day the Holy, wants to first, the Holy Spirit wants to first wash you in God's forgiveness, bring healing to the situation so that you can give forgiveness in the future. Oh, it doesn't happen miraculously in one moment. For some of us, it's a lifelong process. But that's okay as long as we're chasing after the heart of God. What hurts are from your past? You may have thought, boy, to deal with this hurt, I just need to be quiet. No, 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 no. That's a lie from the enemy. You may have thought that this hurt is just going to heal over time. You know what? Time doesn't heal all wounds. Jesus does. What hurts are you carrying that today, in a refuge of grace, you can lay down at the feet of Jesus. Do you know how you have the potential to hurt somebody or somebody has the potential to hurt you? It's if they're alive. In right relationships with one another, we hurt each other sometimes. We do it sometimes intentionally and sometimes we do it just by accident not even knowing it. But today in this moment... In this refuge of grace is a day to lay down those hurts so that God can bring healing and you can walk forward extending his forgiveness. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's word together. Until next time, have a great week and be blessed.